0: Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H brighton.org. A special shout out to my daughter, Kiana. She turned six today, so today's her birthday. She's joining us in service. So happy birthday, sweetheart. And just again, another shout out to our community group that is on a retreat uh, this weekend. Hey guys, glad you're here. Hope you had a good time. And it's exciting that they're on a retreat. We're going on a retreat. And today we're talking about rest, renewal, and retreat. So it's a great theme for all of us to be talking about together Uh, If you're a guest, uh, that might be like a really weird passage for us to study. Like, why did we pick this passage? Uh, Typically what we do at City on a Hill is we like to go verse by verse, book by book. And so we have studied lots of different books of the Bible, and now we just landed on the book of Genesis. And so for the past several weeks, we've been on a journey in chapter one and chapter two of Genesis. And we've already seen the six days of creation, and we watched God create with amazing power and might but also beauty and design and purpose. And so we've really uncovered that the past several weeks. And what we've been really learning is that when God created, he created to show us two things. He created to show us his character in creation and also his heart for humanity. Character in creation, he wanted to show his power and his might and his beauty, his glory. So he's showing part of his character, but he's also showing his heart. And so he's showing us there's a design for how he made humanity and how we're to live to flourish in joy and joy and freedom and purpose. And so the past couple of weeks we've been talking about how God created us for relationships. It's one of the good designs he made us for: relationships with him, relationships with uh, each other. He created us for work, He created us male and female. He created uh, marriage, he created uh, lots of different relationships. and all of this was to reveal those two things: God's character and his heart for humanity. And so for the past several weeks, we've been unpacking this idea that was brought up in chapter one. And God said that we're made in his image according to his likeness. And so this is sort of the fourth week that we're talking about, what does it mean that you and I are made in his image and we are made in his likeness? And so this week we're talking about how God designed you and me for rest, And that's a great thing to hear in a city like Boston. Very fast paced, high academics, incredibly challenging, wonderful, beautiful city. But Boston's not known for rest. Boston's known for busyness. We've got one of the greatest sports town in America. It has one of the most largest college population with a quarter million college students. Boston is a beautiful, wonderful city, but it's not a restful city. And so when God tells us that we are designed for rest because he rested, what does that mean for our life? And what does that mean for you with the busy schedules that you have? And so I know when I'm talking about this today, that you and I are incredibly tired people. If I just look in the crowd now, you look wonderful. You look great for a Sunday morning. But I know many of you and many of you watching online with us that you're tired people. (laughs) You're tired people. Many of you in the room are new parents, new parents, right? And we feel what it looks like when you have little ones. You don't just have little ones. You have little sleep and little everything, little patience and little hope sometimes and a lot of all that, right? Uh, Some of you in the room have started new jobs or new companies, or maybe you're looking for a new job, and that's tedious. It's a lot. It it can be nerve-wracking. It's time-consuming to do that, right? Uh, Several of you are students. You're college students or you're grad students, and you're staying up all night to write papers, and you're doing research, and you're doing exams, and it feels time-consuming. Even a lot of us here have given a lot of your years to start this church. If you're a guest, uh, our church is a three-year-old church Church plant, we're part of a network of neighborhood churches called City on a Hill. Uh, We are the third of four churches that were planted. And many of you gave years of your life. And by the color of your hair, it looks like decades of your life that you gave. That's not a jab at you. I just make an eye contact with you, Jordan, of course. Your hair looks great, of course. But many of you given your years to this. And so regardless of what category you fall in, you're probably overworked, you're overtired, you're overwhelmed, by all the amounts of responsibilities and pressures you have in your life. Like, can I get an amen? Does anyone feel that? Like, I didn't maybe name your category, but we are overwhelmed, overworked, overtired. And this is like real, right? We are a group of tired people. Uh, One recent CNN study uh, showed us that those who work 11 hour days, 11 hour days, uh, which by the way, can include the work that you do at home uh, and the work that you do at school, at school, or like your job. Because at home, we all know we have jobs, right? We got chores, uh, we got kids, uh, there's bills to pay, there's cooking, cleaning, all of that, right? So most of us in the room have 11-hour lives. You don't just get the eight hours and go home and do nothing, okay? And because of that, here's what this study shows us. You have entered yourself in the 250% category to become likely more depressed. Congratulations. than those who work eight-hour days, And the reason for this increase in depression is because you're under this work stress, but it's an increase so much so that there's certain amount of chemicals and hormones that go off in your body when you're overworking. And so this throws off your levels. This chemicals kind of act sort of like a poison to your body and it leads you to increased anxiety and depression. If you work 11 hour days, and if you're a new mom, you feel that hardcore Now we know this is bad, but how are we even supposed to think about rest and renewal with everything on our plate? We have so much responsibility. And if you're like me, you often think, well, if I get more rest, how am I gonna get everything else done that I'm responsible for? You've got assignments and projects and chores and people to take care of. I dare even say it, you even have your own personal needs that need to be met. So if we abandon rest at the altar of responsibility, what do we do? How do we navigate all of the things that we've got to get done? And we kind of feel how this lack of rest is catching up to us, right? We feel the impatience in our relationships. We feel the frustration with the roommate or spouse. We feel the weariness as we go to work and, and school and maybe you traveled home to visit family. You feel this. And the question is, is there a better way or do I just have to live this way my whole entire life, being weary and tired and frustrated and overworked. Do we abandon responsibility just to get rest? How do we do this? Well, guys, we're learning from today's text that you were made for both things. You were made for healthy rhythms of work and rest. And that's what God's going to show us today. We wanna have a healthy rhythm of work and rest. Now, let me show you what I mean as we start with Genesis chapter two. Uh, If you're a guest, anytime I teach, uh, I want us to look at God's word for what we should understand, how to live our life. Uh, I'm not the sage. I don't know everything. I'm a teacher of the Bible. And so who cares what I have to say? You wanna care what God's word has to say. So here's what God's word has to say, verse one. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. That's God working in creation. And it says all the host of them, meaning the multitudes, of what God created in the heavens and the earth, the multitudes. Verse two. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on that seventh day from all the work that he had done. Verse three. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on that day, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Because in this passage, we see that God completed the creation events in chapter one. He has already created the heavens and the earth and the sky and the seas and the plants and animals, and he's created humanity. That work is already done when we come to this passage. And we've learned over the past weeks that when God finished each day of creation, he ended with a similar verbal poetic pattern. Uh, Chapter one, verse five starts this pattern in saying, at the very end of the first day, there was evening, there was morning the first day. Then in verse eight, the pattern continues, doesn't it? There was evening, there was morning the second day. Then verse 13, the evening, the morning, the third day. Verse 19, there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Verse 23, there was evening and morning the fifth day. Verse 31, there was evening and morning the sixth day. It's a pattern. But what's interesting here in chapter two, guys, is that when we get to the seventh day, it's left open. We don't see the same pattern here of evening and morning, the blank day. We see the day start in verse two, but we never see it end. Why does it have the same pattern? Why do you think that is? Did the author who is Moses, did he just forget the poetic pattern that he worked so hard to intentionally craft into chapter one? Well, possibly he could have forgot it. But I don't think that's really the case of what's going on. Why would he work so hard to incorporate this in chapter one just to leave it out for day seven? I think it's because Moses is drawing our attention in the poetic pattern of days one through six just so that we could notice its absence in day seven, actually. Its absence actually will cause us to pause, saying, Where is the poetic pattern here? Why is it not here? Its absence is to draw your attention and create an awe and a wonder, making you think, what's the purpose and uniqueness of day seven? And why is it so different than the other days? So again, why is the seventh day left open when all the other days had an evening and morning the first day, the second day? Why did he not conclude evening, morning, the seventh day? Well, there's a passage in Hebrews 4 that really helps us to understand the big why here, and it says this So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, just as God did from his. It's the same idea that Jesus is getting at when he tells us something in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus speaks of rest as well when he says, I want you to come to me. All of you who labor, who are weary, who are tired, who are heavy laden with responsibilities and burdens, I want you to come to me and I will give you rest. So again, why is the seventh day left open? So that we can continually see the open invitation of God to come and find rest and renewal in him and his ways. He's leaving it open as an open invitation to come at every time at all time to receive rest and renewal in God. So God does want us yes to work hard, but he also wants us to have fulfilling rest. He wants you to rest in Christ for your salvation from sin, from your for security, for satisfaction and yes, for rest, for actual sleep. When you rest in God's purposes and promises, you're actually able to better rest from anxiety and depression and actually allows you to sleep better. Dallas Willard wrote a book on spiritual disciplines, helping people sort of to walk with God through Bible reading or through prayer or through silence and solitude. And he says this, Dallas, Dallas Willard says that until you learn to properly rest in Christ, all of your work for Christ is going to be off. And CG leaders, listen, church staff, if you're in the room, this is really good for you to hang on to. Honestly, it's just good for anybody if you're choosing to use your job and you want to do it into God's glory. This quote works for everyone. Until you learn to properly rest in Christ, your work for Christ is going to be off. We need to learn how to do both well as Christians. We want to work hard, but we want to rest well. And God created us for both. And when we're out of one of those rhythms, something goes off in our spiritual life, in our relational life, in our health, as we learn from that study. God created us for have a healthy rhythm of both of those things. You were designed to work hard and rest well. Now I love about this passage today is that we see God himself rest from his work. And that's an interesting concept to think that God, who is eternal and all-powerful, never needing a break, takes a break. Why does he do that? Do you remember what it says in these verses? It says, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Verse three, God blessed the day. He made it holy, meaning he set. it, uh, he set it apart making it unique from the other days and it says again God rested from all the work that he had done in creation now think about that again God himself rested and these small three little verses emphasize that fact twice God rested God rested and it happened in back to back verses And Moses, the author is trying to draw you in to notice something really, really important. In fact, guys, he repeats himself in three different ways, like an ABC way. If you're a parent or you grew up maybe with a guardian and they told you, hey, clean your room. Hey, I want your room clean. You better have that room clean. There's three different ways to say one thing. And maybe in your marriage, Maybe you're the spouse that has to say things a couple times to your spouse for them to hear it all the way out. So you got to edit it three times, way to say it. So maybe it'll sink in one of those times, right? Not trying to call you out, but that, you, know, you know how it works. Somebody laughing at each other, that's right. Um, that's what Moses is doing. He's saying it three different times. God finished this work and he rested and he rested because he finished the work and all the work was done, so he rested. Moses is emphasizing this importance here. And if you think about it, the eternal, all-powerful God, Of every electron in existence just stops. He rests. And is it because he was tired? Listen, to be an eternally all powerful God means that you could exert enough energy to create infinite amounts of universes and never feel an ounce of weariness in your life. So God didn't rest out of exhaustion, He rested as a model a model for you to rest. We talked about this last week, but I want to remind you that you are a human being, not a human doing. You were made in God's image. And just because you're made in his image with part of his character and his will and his heart in you, you're valuable and you're significant because you're made in the image or the character of God. And so what that means is that you and I don't find our worth and value in work. So we can rest from working for our identity or working for our value or security. We can rest from that work because you're a human being, not a human doing. So God didn't rest out of exhaustion. He rested as a model. And here's what he wanted to model for you. Listen, he wanted you to stop trying to achieve your significance, security, satisfaction, and salvation through work. So he's modeling, stop doing that because it doesn't come from your work. So he says, stop trying to achieve it. I want you to start resting in Christ. Rest in Christ for your significance and your security, your satisfaction, salvation, and you do that through faith. So out of this passage, we see that God is... Blessing and instituting a day for the Israelite people called a Sabbath. And although this Sabbath law was only for the Israelite people at that time, the Sabbath principle from that law carries over to Christians today. So you and I know that, um, that we're, we're not all following all of the Old Testament commands and laws. Just like you and I, if we look back at U.S. history, you and I are not following still the British rule of how they operated in their land with their laws. It didn't carry all the way over to U.S. modern life. Same thing with Old Testament and New Testament. We're under the law of Christ. The commands of the Old Testament were to be fulfilled, yes, and you had to be righteous and live that way. So Christ came and did all of those laws perfectly, So if our faith is in Christ, then God sees us like we are perfect. So although all of the commands and laws are not on us, the principles of those laws and commands are. Does that make sense? And so you and I may not supposed to keep a Sabbath day where we don't work or we don't travel certain distances like the Old Testament Israelites, but you and I have a principle to rest. The principle carries over. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath law was explained in Exodus chapter 20. And so let me read this to you because from Genesis 2, we get it more explained about this Sabbath law and principle in Exodus. So let me read this to you. It says this, this is Moses teaching again. And this is from God. He says, remember the Sabbath day, Israelites. I want you to keep it holy. Six days you're gonna labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord, your God. On that Sabbath day, you shall not work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, so here he is going back to Genesis here, for in six days, the Lord God made heaven and earth, the sea, and that's all that's in them. And then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And God's purpose for the Sabbath law was threefold during that day. And so we take again the law and we draw principles from them. And so I spent a lot of time researching this past week and I I drew a lot of this stuff from one of our local pastors, Adam Mabry. He wrote this book talking about rest. He's a pastor in Cambridge and some different sermons from even with our own network. And one of my favorite boys, J.D. Greer, got some great noise. I often reference him in a sermon or two. I'll get some quotes. And it's really, really helpful for us to understand the principle that's in Sabbath rest for you. Here's the first thing that Sabbath rest is to do. It's to remind them and to remind us that God is the point of our lives. That's the point of God giving a whole day to the Old Testament Israelites to just rest. Don't work is to remind them that God's the point of your life and not work. They were to take a day to recognize that God didn't create them to accomplish tasks, but God created them to be in a relationship with him. And that whole day was to reorient their hearts to the fact that God made them for him. To be reminded that they weren't created for a job, they were created for a being, for God himself. So the first reason the Sabbath law was the point was to take time off of work to be with God, not to do more stuff. The purpose was to rest in who God is, to remember that the point of your life and their life was not to climb the corporate ladder or to go to school every day and write research papers and take exams. That wasn't the purpose and point of life. Work was not the point. It's that relationship with God was the point. But here's the second thing. Not only was the Sabbath to remind them that God's the point of their lives, but was to remind them that God is the provider for their lives, the point and the provider of their lives. In many ways, guys, taking days off during that time was really inconvenient, especially in ancient Israel. Survival was often a day-to-day occurrence for them in a season-to-season affair. Crops had to be harvested daily and water had to be drawn and uh, they had to make sure that their crops and their animals were fed and taken care of. To take your productivity and cut off one whole day could be the difference between life and death for this people. No other society practiced this in ancient culture, but God commanded his people to do it. Why? Why would he give them a possible further hardship to cut off a whole day of work when maybe their animals would die or the crops would die or they wouldn't be able to harvest the crops or something happened? Why would he make this harder? It seems that God wanted to remind them that at the end of the day, it was he that would provide for them. He was the ultimate provider. So he had them cut their productivity and one day off. So that would give him space to work. And they would watch how God would still provide and care for them. So here's what his promise. This was the Sabbath principle. If the Israelites would take one day off in obedience to him, he would multiply their effectiveness the other six days. He promised that they would accomplish more in six days than they would have if they worked all seven. Now that math doesn't make any sense. If you really think about that, you work six days and you're gonna be able to accomplish more in than you would in seven. And I've got you for a whole day. I will take care of how this works. That doesn't make any rational sense, but God is showing them that he will meet all of our needs and all of the ends would meet. And we know this is hard for us because God did set up a world that we would be able to provide for ourselves through natural means. You go to work or you work from home or you work with your hands or you work with thoughts and ideas and you're able to provide for yourself. And God created the world like that. That's a good thing for us to work. That's not a bad thing. But when God says, I want you to take this one day and not work, I want to remind you that I'm the ultimate one that provides for you. I provide your health. I provide that paycheck. I provide that job. I provide the home that you're resting in, the clothes that you have, the food, the environment, the friendships. I'm the one that ultimately provided that. All good gifts flow from me is what he's trying to remind them. Because if we're not careful, we think that it was our intellect and our work and our strength and our smarts and our effort that built everything around us. But who gave us the gift to increase our intellect? Who gave us a mind that's sharp and they can calculate and think and plan, it's God. So God is asking for this day to say, you will work better when you're reminded how I work for you. It's a beautiful principle for us to take and hold on to. God bears the ultimate responsibility to take care of his people. Does that make sense? It's a really hard thing to sort of understand why God did this then, they didn't rest because everything was done in their culture. They rested because God promised that if they did, he'll provide for them. He's reminding them, as we've learned in the past weeks, that God is Yahweh. God is saying that I am a God, I am always here, and I am all you need. Then here's the third reason that he gave the Sabbath law was not to just be the point of their life or provide for their life, but to remind Israel that God is the savior of their lives. The savior of their lives. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy is yet another place that Moses is teaching about rest and Sabbath. And he adds one extra detail to the reason why we need the Sabbath right here in this verse. In chapter five, it says this, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Here he is teaching again. You shall remember that you were a slave Israelites in the land of Egypt. And what did God do? The Lord your God brought you up out from there with a mighty hand in his outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So what is Moses saying here? He's saying at one time, you were in a multi-generation slavery in Egypt. You were there against your will, Israelites, and you were being abused and mistreated and harmed. Your women and children were being taken away. For generations, this was happening. And God said, I heard your prayers. I heard your cry. I saw what you're going through and I rescued you. The text says with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So God is saying, take a day and remember how, yes, I've provided for you. Yes, I'm the point of your life, but remember that I'm your rescuer, that I am your savior. And for Christians, that's why we take a day like a Sunday and we pause. You didn't go to work today. You stopped. You stopped wherever you are, whether you're online and you're on retreat or you're right here, you, you stop and you say, I remember that I've been rescued, that God was had outstretched arms on the cross and died in our place so we could have a place with God. And we're reminded of this in the Sabbath principle. God did all of this rescuing by himself. God brought them up out of Uh, slavery with all of those 10 plagues that he did. He didn't ask other people for their input or their help. God did it himself. And God did the same thing for us on the cross. You're not saved by your works. You don't go to heaven or get a relationship with God by being a good person. You're not good enough to get that with God. And God knows this. And so he lived good enough for you to give you his righteousness, to give you his record of perfection, like it was yours. And then when God sees you, He's like, oh yeah, that's Jesus' perfection. We can have a relationship together because what's God's was now yours. His righteousness became yours. That was a gift. And we're to take a day like this to remember that God is our savior. God was the point. God was the provider. God's the savior of our life. And that was the reason for the Sabbath law in the Old Testament. And the same is true for us now as we consider the Sabbath principle for our life in the New Testament. According to the writer of Hebrews, all this like Sabbath stuff that we've been talking about is really all a shadow pointing us to Christ. Like let's go back to Hebrews 4 for a brief moment. It says this, "'For if Joshua, who was Moses' successor to be the leader of the Israelite people, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God.'" For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The Sabbath that Moses and Joshua instituted did not provide them an ultimate heart rest, an ultimate soul rest. It did point forward to Jesus who is our ultimate rest and our satisfaction. That's why we don't have to work for our value or a meaning or our worth. Even though culture says that that's where it comes from. We rest knowing that God worked so we would be worthy. God lived and died and sought in order for you and I to have a place in his kingdom. So here's just the main overall, we got one point for today. Here's the main overarching thing. If you just like zoned out for a minute, cause you're like, hey bro, I'm taking a Sabbath right now. I don't know where you are, but here's where I'm at. Here's the main one idea for today, okay? Jesus is my significance, my security, my satisfaction and my salvation. He in his totality is the rest my soul needs. That is the one big idea we are trying to unfold from Genesis 2. God rested to be a model and to point us to how our souls need rest because we're pursuing relationships, job, a house, all in order to be something. When God says, no, rest in what I've already done for you. This is so good for our hearts. We need this so bad. Christian, when you daily come before Jesus and you rest like this, you were reminded that he has accomplished everything you need for your worth, value, and to be loved. See, when God created the world, right? He looked at everything in creation and what did he say? He said, it is what? Finished. Where do we hear that language in the New Testament? When Jesus hung on the cross, bearing the weight of our sin, and he cries out, what's he say? It is finished. It is finished. Christian, when you stop and realize that you are completely loved and you're fully accepted, apart from anything that you could possibly accomplish, you will finally receive the rest that your heart is looking for. Without that kind of unconditional approval given as a gift, you'll always feel like you'll have to do more to prove yourself. And God is simply holding it out to you if you would only stop and rest in it. Like just meditate on this for a moment, church. You are not defined by your work. You're not defined by how much you make. Doesn't matter how much you have. You're not more significant if you're more moral or you're less moral. If you're a Christian, you are simply accepted fully and loved deeply simply because of what Jesus accomplished for you. That's what makes you beautiful. That's what makes you loved. That's what makes you significant. When the world tells you, you gotta look this way, act this way, make this much money. You've gotta be in this social group. You gotta vote this way. That's what makes you meaningful. God says, no, none of that. You're working to accomplish something that will hurt you and harm you. You'll spend years of your life in 70, 80 hour workdays to climb the corporate ladder because a vacation home, a financial package, some degree will help you be significant. When God says, no, you are significant. And I'll prove it so because I'll die for every ounce of your sin so that God doesn't hold it against you. And I'll give you my infinite love. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll journey with you in the hardest spots of your life. And when you retire, when that company that you died for bails on you and just gives you a check, God never does. Relationally, never abandons And journeys with you through the hardest points of your life when your job, your boss, your work never will. My friends, this is the goodness of the gospel. He took your sin and he gave you his righteousness. Your works, your good works do not lead you into a relationship of love and acceptance with God. Only Jesus living in your place, dying in your place, raising in your place gives you a place of love and acceptance with God. We've got as Christians to stop trying to get love and worth and value from paycheck and people in the place where you live. That will run you ragged. I've only been a pastor for 10 years. I just turned 34 this past week. I know I'm incredibly young to be a pastor and to lead a church. I'm very much aware of that. Only in my short little time being a pastor, I have seen countless families with marital harm and their kids sort of being grown up without maybe mom or dad or a guardian present. See tons of people struggling and striving for what their job could do for them, their hope and their securities in their job. got to take care of myself in the future. So I got to build up a retirement and that's my everything. So it's okay. I won't be at my kid's soccer game. And it's okay. I won't spend that date night with my wife. And I've just got to work hard for this. And we begin to sacrifice. We become like ancient religions. You may not kill your wife and child at the altar of something like in ancient cultures, but you do sacrifice their time, their relationship for your job, for your money, Some of us may have done that when we've gone to college, we've sacrificed a relationship with a parent or a guardian or a friend because that thing became more important than the relationship. All of us sacrifice something. The question is, do you trust that God sacrificed everything so you could have everything in him? So which one sounds better, friend? Working for a value that ends up just being fog in the mist or allowing God to work completely for you and you getting the rest of his love and acceptance and security and provision in him. Which one just makes sense, right? If God is real and this is true, you and I can have healthy work and rest rhythms. When it becomes five or 5.30, you can just shut it down. Be Like, yeah, I got more work to do, but it's okay. If I get fired from my, now you should work hard as a Christian, by the way, just let me get that out. You should work hard as a Christian. Don't be the worst like work ethic at your job. That would be terrible. That's not what I'm getting here. But what allows you to do is you don't have to be the workaholic in the group. When 5 or 5.30 hits, you can be like, man, I didn't get this done, but I need to go home because I am not my job. So even though it's undone, doesn't mean that I'm undone. Make sense? And what it means is that you don't have to kill yourself. You can go on what's called a vacation. You can actually take some time off. Not because you're going to Disneyland or Disney World. Just because you can And you need to just breathe healthy rhythms of work and rest because the paycheck, the status, the promotion, that's not your life. It's nice. It can help your family, but it's not everything. Let's not ruin our lives, our family's lives, the next generation because we're striving for something that's missed, that can't ultimately satisfy you. This is a side note. One of the most saddest moments I've had as a pastor is being at the bedside of someone who is dying. And I've been on the bedside of multi-millionaires. As I'm watching their family in the room and I'm holding hands and I'm praying these final moments of someone's life, no one ever thought, did I get that email out? How did I do with that business presentation? Normally what's happening in that room is what? Lots of asking for forgiveness. I'm sorry I wasn't there. I wish I was more present in your life. I'm sorry I made work Everything. I hear that constantly. And I was at a church with uh, like 4,000 people. And so sadly, this was a regular occurrence where I would go to the hospital of someone in their 70s or 80s or 90s. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching this conversation unfold. And so as a young congregation, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, however old you are or online, let's take a moment and evaluate. Are you working for something that's already given in Christ. If he's your security, you don't have to make zillions of dollars and just sit in comfort thinking that that will make you happy. It won't. And we know that you've seen that. We understand that. We got to skip forward here. Sorry, guys. I went on a tangent and just just jumped ship here. Let's go back. Let me make this really practical as we begin to try to close this down and end with something restful, okay? Here's a couple things I want you to consider. We may not play out this Sabbath law where you're forced by God to spend this one day off and don't work, we're supposed to carry over a Sabbath principle. And this can happen in a variety of ways in your life, okay? First one, one day a week, one day a week, I want you to just think about, how can I one day a week spend time resting, have renewal and spend time in relationships? Just what's one that one day? Guys, you know that today may be your day off, but I gotta work today right? Nick's got to work today. Kyle's got to work today. I've got to find another day, just like you for your work rhythms. You might have to find another day that works well for you. What's one day that you can take the principle over and say, I'm going to rest. I'm going to have renewal. I'm going to spend time with some relationships. So listen, during that day, I want you to spend time focusing on God. Spend it with some good friends that you enjoy. Go out and like walk somewhere. Take your dog or if you have a cat, I've seen some people walk some cats. That was new to me when I moved to New England. Never seen that before. If you walk a cat, I'm not judging you. Just that's new to me. Uh, If I see walking turtles, I'm just packing this thing up and I'm gone. Like I don't like, I don't understand that. Um, But I want you to take some time just to breathe because it doesn't have to be on a Sunday. The church in the New Testament changed the Sabbath principle from Saturday to Sunday. Like they were showing that the day is not as essential. Even if, by the way, if maybe you you grew up and you're like, are you telling me to disobey the Sabbath law? Uh, I would encourage you to study Colossians chapter two uh, when God is giving us some freedom to pick which day would be a good day to practice this principle. So it doesn't have to be on a specific day and Colossians two kind of airs that out for us. Guys, I want you to be a day to be with God. Yes, a day to be with family, be outdoors, do something you enjoy, Guys, our family does this on Thursday. It's an awkward day to just take a day off. Like, yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're grinding at work. Thursday, off day. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's, it's weird. But I need something in my life rhythms. Uh, my daughter is in a Christian uh, homeschool, uh, kind of conglomeration type of school. And so Thursday, she gets off. Kind of weird, right? I get that. Christians are weird anyway. And then why not just add some more weird to it? And so we get this weird day off. And so we like do all kinds of fun things. We like called sleep in. That's rare. We sleep in. We do our devotional time. We eat a big breakfast and then we go do some adventure. We've gone to the Big E Fair. We've gone to Tossfield Fair. We go to a trampoline park, which we're going today, even after church, just to celebrate my daughter's birthday. And we'll get back home and we'll eat a big dinner. We'll watch a movie and then we'll do a family sleepover. We'll put the cots on the ground in our room and we'll watch movies until we fall asleep. Now that I might be an irresponsible dad, sure. But what I want to teach my kids early is that your dad and your mom and the people you go to church with, they're incredibly busy. But what's so important is for us to stop and rest and to be, spend time with each other. Our kids and I, we're reading God's word together. We're laughing, we're playing. Now I can't just relegate all that to just one day with my kids. Yay, I get a daddy on one day. You know, what about him on the six days? Like, but I'm showing you, you at least need one day. One day, what's it look like for you, church? Can it be maybe a Wednesday afternoon into the evening? Can can you take off that chunk? I know some of you are maybe nurses and you got 12 hour shifts. You're like, bro, I don't know how to do that. I wanna invite you to take maybe just one step. What would that one step be for you? What would that one step of maybe rest and renewal with God, his word? The next thing, this might seem odd to you, and I know that being a pastor, when you talk about money, people are like, bro, you always trying to stretch that into sermons, aren't you? You're always trying to stretch money into sermons. I know it can be a distrusting thing, but hear me out for a second. The Sabbath principle doesn't just go with our time. It goes with our money, our treasures. I won't spend long here, but I want you to see the pattern of how it works. Financial giving or tithing is also a Sabbath principle, we don't tithe, guys. If you, if you give financially to support the ministry of our church, to get the gospel to our friends and neighbors, to take care of the building that you're in to help us serve others. By the way, when any of you give, I know that you don't be like, I just have so much more money in my, Boston, in my budget. Boston's one of the cheapest places to live. So sure, I'll just give this amount of money. No one thinks that in the room. And if you do, please come talk to me. I got lots more needs for our church and community that could use what you have. But I do know that when you give, you're not thinking out of excess. For the Christian, you think, I want to give because it's essential. A lot of the world thinks, man, I can't give because I can't afford to. Christians think, I've got to give because I can't afford not to. I want to give of my heart and my time. Listen, God owns everything if you're a Christian, by the way. God owns everything. And what He's asking is for a slice of that to be given to His purposes through maybe a local church or a nonprofit that's extending the gospel, he's, he's, he's designed to channel that, not to just meet a need, but to do something in you. When you and I have the Sabbath principle of giving a portion, like we give a portion of our time, we give a portion of our talent, it's untethering us from the worth that we think money has on our life. Does that make sense? I won't tell you how much money that my family ties. I think that'd be wildly inappropriate, but I know for our family, we are seeking to do a percentage and then increase that percentage by 1% every year. I don't make a ton of money. Members, you know how much money that I make and our family makes. It's not a lot of money. And my goal is not to get you to think, he just needs more money. This church needs more money. The goal in giving with the Sabbath principle is untethering you from your finances thinking that that paycheck and that security is what makes me feel comfortable about the future. If I've got this in my account, then my future will be okay. And God is saying, I want you to give a portion. So let me challenge you. If you're a guest and you're like, bro, I'm I'm seeing through all this stuff and maybe you're just like trying to do some weird stuff with money today. Don't give it to our church. Pick another church, give it to them. Pick another church, give it to them. Pick a nonprofit that's gonna share the gospel. Give it to them. And through that, watch the benefit of how God begins to untether your security thinking it comes from money. I wanna really challenge you in that way. I've seen that in my life, in my marriage, in ministry and and folks in the church. When we begin to practice this, this Sabbath principle of giving, we watch just like work begins to detach a tether of our value, so does money. Sleep, a couple more things here, sleep. Sleep is a value one for us to consider here. Psalm 127 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go to the gate or go late to rest. Eating the bread of anxious toil for God gives to his beloved sleep. Now, what's the sign in this verse that you're beloved by God? What's the word? Sleep. That's the symbol that you're loved by God. He gives to his beloved sleep. And right now some of you have been given the gift of sleep, as your sleepy eyes are going through this sermon with me, right? But in this passage, in this passage, if you sleep, then who's watching the city? Who's caring for the work? Who's watching over the family? And then the, the psalmist is like sweetly smiling, and he says, "God is." Listen, God intended sleep to be a time every day where you remind yourself that you're not God, that's what sleep is. Personal confession, guys, the more responsibility I have as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a leader, the more trouble I have sleeping. I often wake up worried and anxious the second my alarm goes off. And I sleep badly sometimes because I get worried about who's watching the city of my family or my leaders or this church. But here's what I'm learning. God wants me to lay down each night with plenty of time to sleep, kind of like a Sabbath, just to remind myself, I'm not God. I can't hold everything together. I can't do everything perfectly like I'm supposed to. I need another to work on my behalf. When I lay down to sleep, I say, God, I'm going to turn myself off. And even though there's more to do and lots to worry about, you are staying on and you designed me to turn off. So I trust you that you'll handle what I can't. So listen, guys, it's not your ultimate responsibility, according to this verse, to guard the city, to do everything perfect for your job, to do everything perfect for your family, to pay the bills, to do everything. We are to work hard, but the ultimate responsibility is God's. It's your job to be faithful. And after you've been faithful, you can lie down and sleep, leave it in God's hands. Guys, some of you in this room, listen to me. Some of you online, listen. The greatest, boldness, most reckless act of faith that you can do is take a nap. It's the most faithful thing that you can do this week. It's not work harder or manage stuff better or organize the stuff in the house more. It's just to take a nap. Call up someone in your community group and say, I need an app. This kid, this work, this project at school, it's, it's wearing on me. And my body is weary. I need a nap. Can you help watch over my kid? Or can you come help me out with whatever the case may be? The most spiritual thing some of you could do is just rest. Just take a nap. I pray that you follow that this week. Those who study rest that say that the vast majority of us need to get more sleep, not less. They say only one to 3% of the population is actually getting too much sleep. Do you realize that that means 97% of every person you see is not getting enough rest? Guys, take a nap. Rest. Our lack of sleep contributes to all kinds of health problems. It even makes us less efficient. Our brain gets foggy because when we go to sleep, our brain's able to kind of use the enzymes that's going on. It's kind of like a dumping ground. And when we go to sleep, it begins to clear out some of the fogginess of our mind. When you get sleep, you get rest. It clears up your mind. Hmm, God designed you to live that way. Healthy rhythms of work and rest. So if you're feeling tired and weary, take a nap. I know you've got a lot to do. I know you've got kids. I know you've got a job. I know you've got a project due coming up soon. I know you're anxious about finding a job or what's next for you. Take a nap. God's watching over. God's providing. God's caring. In the anxious toil of you trying to do whatever, if you rest and hand it to the Lord, then maybe God will do something in that shorter amount of time than it would if you had worked a whole other day on it. Trust God in this way. See what God would do. Doesn't mean you don't work hard, but you figure out how to rest hard. Last couple things, practice some rhythm of like daily Sabbath, like some sort of daily way to get rest. Guys, I want you to do this mentally. Mental rest does not just mean you zone out and watch Netflix. That's what all of us think that what mental rest is. But often that's hard for us. We feel more anxious after the show. We didn't actually feel more rested. One author says this, the best way to feel rejuvenated mentally is to get really tired doing something that you don't typically do. That's an interesting way to think about it. So one way as a dad I'm really tired of doing this over here, then I'll go play with my kids and I will do Legos with them or we'll play Barbies or dinosaurs. And I get really tired doing that. And that sort of resets this mental rest for me. Guys, social rest is another category. Have some way to daily connect with people you enjoy. Not everyone you're in a relationship with you enjoy. I know that. But find someone that you do enjoy. Quick phone call on the way home from work. Maybe just a quick, hey, I know we don't have a lot, but do you just want to take a walk around the block together or get a quick coffee? Or do you just want to run the grocery store with me just for a moment and just hang out? What Some daily rhythm you can get. Physical rest. Again, we talked about sleep and naps, but one recent study showed that a 30-minute nap, guys, three times a week, 30 minutes, three times a week can cut your heart attack risk by 40%. Now, Cassie... You work in the medical field. I don't know if that's real, real. That was a stat, did some research here. But that sounds real good. That sounds like good news to me. 30 minute nap three times a week can cut your heart attack risk by 40%. Other studies show that those who take a nap are actually more productive. I'll tell you this, because I know that you help provide for our church and staff. I know that Kyle and I have sometimes had like three or four hour meetings and we look at each other, at three o'clock and we're like, hey bro, let's call it a day. And Kyle's like, I'm going home to take a nap. I'm like, bro, I'm gonna take a 30 minute nap before my kid gets home from school for the glory of God. (laughs) I know that you may not be able to do that in your job and I wanna be very sensitive to that. I know that that's one of the benefits of my employment, but is there some way that you can figure that out in your own world? Do you have part-time off with your work? Do you have some sort of mental sick days? Are you using up everything that your company has given you to the fullest for your rest? Let's be creative about how we do this. Social rest, physical rest, mental rest, and then spiritual rest. Guys, every day as a Christian, I could not encourage this any harder. Would you take time away, even if it's five minutes, and spend time telling God what's on your heart and mind? Where are you frustrated Where are you tired? Where are you angry? That you would take a moment and share that with him in prayer and then open God's word and hear him through that scripture because it's written by God. Hear him speak his truth to you and comfort you and guide you. It may not all work for whatever you're going through in that moment, but he'll store it up for a moment that you do need it. You need spiritual rest in God. And I want that to go in every fabric of your day. Last thing, and this is a good challenge for some folks in our church here, is a yearly Sabbath. Throughout the Bible, we see Jesus commanding his people to take time off, to remind themselves that they aren't the ones doing the work that God is. Mark 6 says this, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. God said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So look at that phrasing. So many were coming. Because it's not like they didn't have anything to do. This, there was a line of people waiting for Jesus. But Jesus knew that he had to take time and stop and prioritize a Sabbath with the Father. And to reflect on the fact that God is the one who does all the work. Now, I know that when I say like a yearly Sabbath or a vacation, some of you are like, I can't afford to do that with my time. I can't afford that with my money. We just got a baby. There's a foster placement. There's a new job. I'm sorry, you, we, all kinds of excuses why we can't take some time off. I don't mean you got to go to Disneyland or you got to go to Paris. I'm saying, can you go to like Watertown? I don't know. <laughs> if you're from Watertown, I'm not trying to dog on it, but is there some way you can just take some time to get away? To breathe. That's why our church is going on a church retreat. So you can just breathe, enjoy the beauty of creation, hang out in relationships, sleep in a little bit. That's why one of our community groups is literally on a retreat right now. Hopefully you did rest, but I know you probably stayed up late hanging out, but it's good to rest. These are good things, guys. I wanna encourage you, get some time away. If you've never taken a vacation, this is your sign. Take one. If you've not rested and retreated, you need one. You're probably cranky. You're probably frustrated. Everyone that knows you that doesn't take a vacation, we're like, we can tell you don't take a vacation because you're a cranky. If you're grumpy, take a vacation. Your body, your motions are sending signals. I'm overworked. I'm overtired. The most spiritual thing you do is can just rest sometimes. So as we close, hear two ways that Jesus is telling you to rest. Jesus says, come to me all who are labor, labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Two ways, we rest in him. We rest in him for our satisfaction, for security, for our salvation, for our significance. We rest in him spiritually that way That has implications in every work relationship and everything in our life. We rest in that way and then we do it physically. My friends, you were made body and soul. Your soul needs to rest and find its value in God so that you don't work for it in the world, but your body needs rest. You are a soul and a body and your body needs rest. The most spiritual thing you could do is hear Jesus say, come to me and find rest for your souls. Don't work for value or meaning or significance or security, you rest but also physically rest. In that passage, we see that Jesus is not offering you an escape. He's offering you equipment. He says, take my yoke, which is my ways and my work and put it on. And you will watch me as the stronger ox. Carry your burdens, carry your complexities and your heartaches. Come to me with those. Find the rest you need in me spiritually, and physically. Church, let's take a moment and pray together.